Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today, Lauren Carpenter, who is CEO and co-founder, Dustin Moore, who is co-founder of Embark. We're going to talk to him about the work they've been doing in cannabis, about the world of dispensaries, and a little bit around the world of entertainment, the idea of where we are with some of the on-site event kind of world of cannabis. Obviously, a lot of kind of dynamics there, different kind of municipalities, different states kind of taking different approaches, but you know, a huge part of the future of cannabis. So we're going to touch on that as well and just kind of learn what they're doing and what they're seeing and what's going on in the world of cannabis, particularly on the West Coast there. So with that, Lauren, Dustin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we dive into everything that's going on today, let's get a little background. And why don't we have a, you each can kind of give a little bit of your own background and how you've got together and and talk about Embark. But, uh, you know, I love to hear the backstories. I love to hear the journeys. Lauren, why don't we start with you? 
Absolutely. And it's funny, how did we get together? That's a a loaded question for Dustin and I, because we, in addition to being business partners, are also husband and wife. Um, And I will say launching a business in the middle of a global pandemic with your partner is certainly an adventure. Um, So I can imagine. Yeah. So we've we've been having a lot of fun. We'll we'll say that. But in a nutshell, you know, Embark was really born out of about a decade of Dustin's policy work in cannabis in California. And, you know, I'll let him give more of that background. But because he was the day-to-day campaign manager for Proposition 64, it really opened my eyes just being his partner during that process at what an important conversation this was and what an exciting moment in time this could be just being the fifth largest economy in the world. We're a nation state. And so it was thrilling to be sort of have a front seat as that policy was getting hammered out. And so post legalization, I immediately pivoted what quickly became I had always loved my career in Sacramento in government affairs and public affairs until you watch your partner legalize cannabis. And then it makes your job seem supremely uncool by comparison. (laughs) And so, you know, that inspired me and excited me about the opportunity to pivot into the cannabis industry. And I think particularly in California, post-legalization, there was so much confusion. You know, this is an industry that for so long has historically hid from government and law enforcement and communities or at least hidden in plain sight. So post-legalization, I sort of jumped into the fray, moved down to LA and started working for one of the largest operators at the time, really getting my feet wet in what does it look like to, as everyone in this industry loves to say, build the plane while we're flying it. Um, The most overused, we should make that a drinking game, right? The most overused. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Cannabis cannabis plans drinking game has definitely been played more than once on this show. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, from there, so really got my feet wet working inside what at the time, you know, probably arguably the largest cannabis company, certainly in the country, pivoted from that to a startup. And from there really realized, why do I keep doing this and having all this fun for everybody else. I want to, <laughs> I want to do this. I want to, I want these headaches to be for my own benefit. Yeah, exactly, so exactly. Yeah. So here we are. Excellent. And, and Dustin, give us a little sense of the background. Yeah, no, I think um, Lauren has really captured the essence of how Embark was born. For me, cannabis was an issue of, of right and wrong at a very young age. My father had uh, multiple brain aneurysms and was very fortunate to survive that experience. And I realized when he started using cannabis to mitigate seizures, and this was pre-Prop 215, so things were certainly not a favorable consumer cannabis climate in California. And he ran into you know a number of challenges and, and an arrest along the way. And for me, I really struggled to see him find relief you know, plant medicine, but be criminalized for that. And so at a very young age, I I saw this as as an issue of right and wrong. And I was very fortunate much later in my career, uh, at the time working, running special projects for the Speaker of the California Assembly to be able to work on the original Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. And that started in about 2012. You know, unfortunately, that wasn't ultimately passed until 2015, but but I felt like I was able to put my DNA on that. And then subsequent to that, I was um, tapped, as Lauren mentioned, to be the day-to-day campaign manager for Proposition 64. So from the time we started doing all of the research along with the Drug Policy Alliance, 
through the drafting, through ultimately passing the proposition, you know, I had a, a real boot camp on the fact that, you know, cannabis was really a community before it was an industry and seeing, you know, the over 500 different stakeholders that were at the table made me appreciate where we had come from and where we needed to go. And after that, I began consulting for a number of different companies that were looking to get licensed in California, but also with different communities, helping them figure out how to license cannabis. So I was really at the intersection of you know business and policy. And through that experience, realized that there was still so much work to be done. And given our collective backgrounds, Lauren and myself, that we had such a passion for bringing you know, cannabis to communities in a responsible way that we decided to do that through Embark. And really the rest is, is you know, kind of history now. We are building, you know, what we hope to be um, the, the most attractive retail footprint in California. And it's just been been quite a quite a fun journey. And to be able to do it with my my life partner as well, I feel about as lucky as, uh, as I could be. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And Lauren, let me ask you, like, give us a little bit of what it was like in the early days. Like, so you see the opportunity, all right? It's one thing to kind of have a plan. It's another thing to actually execute that plan, you know, to develop, develop the headaches for yourself, as you said. What were some of the kind of early stages, first steps? How did this play out in the beginning? Well, you know, obviously it goes without saying early days for me was so late in the game for so many of the pioneers. And so I was fortunate that through the campaign, Dustin's campaign work, I was able to meet so many of the small farmers and the longtime operators and really the legacy and I think the beating heart of our industry. And in many ways, that gave me, I think, so much more perspective than someone who was just jumping in immediately post-legalization. But I think In the first few years post-legalization, we were all just obviously trying to figure out what this even meant. And in California, you know, we didn't have regulations despite voting in 2016. You know, we didn't have regulations until 2018. They weren't, quote unquote, permanent until 2019. And of course, there's another bite at the apple happening in the state right now. So uh, (laughs) it's, it's so hard to answer that question because I think we're still really riding the wave of how do our constant innovations and lessons learned, you know, how do we work with policymakers to get a regulatory environment that reflects what our day-to-day operations really look like? You know, my first job in the industry was at MedMen, which obviously is has a storied um, history <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. many a headline. And folks love to ask me about that. And, and how does that experience inform what we're doing today? And I think really, I look back on that experience with so much gratitude because at the time, you know, they in some ways were really the tip of the spear. I'm not aware of other companies that were putting up billboards that said stoner all over them, right? Across yeah. all of Los Angeles and and having those battles to even be able to advertise. And so I learned so much through that experience as being part of the tip of the spear. I think also every business benefits from learning what not to do as much as what to do. You know, that's that's in some ways probably more valuable. And and I think we all have a lot that we owe to, you know, the folks that have, have shared that along the way. Yeah, yeah. And so for Embark, you know, that really informed, I think, my perspective on trying to bring cannabis to communities. The communities where we operate historically have not had a large presence. You know, they aren't LA or San Francisco. Cannabis dispensaries have not been in these communities for years. And so believe it or not, 
it's still often a challenge and certainly a conversation with community that that still receives more pushback than I think a lot of operators realize in what it means to come in and try and integrate cannabis into the community. And so I would say that has certainly also been informed by trying to have those conversations. What I've learned is this is still conversation one at a time. And launching our business in the middle of COVID has uh, made that a little more challenging. But I think it's also forced us to be a lot scrappier too. I'm sure. Just a little bit about kind of strategy and and how you've kind of chosen, you know, kind of the business model and and approach to the dispensaries, like your location choices, um, you know, product choices, like what, what have been kind of some of the elements that you've made decisions around to focus your efforts or, or, or be competitive in this space? Yeah, I think many people have a misunderstanding about the California market in that they see it as an unlimited licensed state. And that is objectively not the case um, because every municipality in California has the choice of whether or not they want to allow for retail sales it has left about 65% of the state to date without any retail outlets. So there are massive cannabis deserts throughout California. Historically, the major markets in California for cannabis have been Los Angeles and San Francisco, who embraced cannabis after the passage of Prop 215 and allowed for the connective model or collective models to really proliferate. I think one of the staggering statistics is in 2011 in Los Angeles, there were more dispensaries than Starbucks and McDonald's combined. So, you know, we got a lot of saturation in the state in San Francisco and Los Angeles alone. And you look at the market today in California, there's only about a thousand storefront dispensaries. And if you would have asked me in 2016 during the campaign, you know, how many dispensaries would they be in California in 2022? I would say, you know, three to 4,000 because that's where we need to be. So what we realized is that of those 1,000 dispensaries, of the vast majority are in Los Angeles and San Francisco. But yeah. this is a state of 40 million people. It's a nation state. And there's so many secondary markets throughout California that have historically not had access to cannabis but there is significant demand as evidenced by the passage in those communities of Proposition 64, as well as a number of these communities that have put out ballot initiatives to their electorate asking about taxing cannabis. So overwhelming support, but no access. So what we've done is become hyper-focused on these tertiary markets that have significant population densities but do not have a significant number of licenses. Like we will not go into a market that has a greater saturation of one dispensary per 15,000 residents. So that's kind of the the threshold, the threshold question. The other part of the strategy really aligns with our political backgrounds. And, you know, immediately after the passage of Proposition 64, we began to start conversations with dozens and dozens, nearly 100 different jurisdictions in California to understand what their plans for dispensaries would be. And we've maintained those relationships. And the unique thing about California, and I think, you know, you you guys have seen this in, in New Jersey and some of the other, you know, states where they will yeah. put out RFPs or merit-based competitions for, for licenses at the state level. We see that actually at the local municipality level in every jurisdiction in California. So we go in and, you know, we run very strategic political campaigns um, in each of these communities to ultimately be awarded a license. But we look for communities where there's a demographic that is going to support cannabis and we'll we'll purchase cannabis and our product supply you know the strategy there really we are folks that came from lauren and i to some degree both got into politics to be you know uh, public servants and we realized Mm -hmm. very quickly that 
this industry was going to quickly overlook those who helped pave the way. And, you know, cannabis was a community before it was never ever an industry. And we very much believe in supporting those who came before us. So, you know, today about half of our products in our stores either come from legacy farmers or social equity brands. And that is very important to us to present those offerings in order to really be the ones that are kind of passing the torch along to ensure that that part of the industry has its rightful place at the table. Because unfortunately, you know, we're seeing some some pressure on you know, the small farms and, and social equity businesses. So that that's a big part of our buying thesis. And, you know, we feel very fortunate. I think today, looking at our retail footprint and our path to getting to, to 20 plus stores in 2023, you know, we feel very fortunate to have the successes we have to date and to be able to be proud of the partners and brands that we support along the way. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So uh, I'll flip it back over to Lauren on this one. How, um, Running a multi-location brand, multi-location operation, and with some distances between things, it sounds like. Give me a sense of kind of operationally, how what have been kind of the challenges or how, how have you kind of approached this to help you kind of get traction and get the business going, but also have a bigger picture plan of 20 dispensaries is, you know, a very different kind of business to be running than, you know, a handful where do you kind of make these balances and trade-offs between kind of short-term optimization versus long-term op- optimization? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And my first answer would be with a sense of humor. I think the the first part <laughs> of that question was, how do you do this? And I think right now, um, this is a wild time to be alive and to be operating an essential business. And to some extent, you just have to keep swimming. And I found that a sense of humor is the thing that helps as I try and sleep at night. But I think in all seriousness, it's you're right, it's a balance. And there isn't sort of a one size fits all answer to that. It's a bit day by day. The biggest thing I would say is with focus, such a (laughs) I joked about buzzwords earlier in this conversation, but such a buzzword in this industry. And I think so challenging where so few businesses are effectively doing that right now. And so I think for us, we've we've sought to remain really laser focused on the relationship with consumers. And if we can really own that being a positive relationship in these communities, I think a lot just naturally flows through that. The other part of that, I think, because, you know, you said, how are you doing this, especially as you scale in communities that are, you know, somewhat disparate. To some extent, we've taken a pretty targeted geographic approach, at least initially, so that we aren't in, for example, you know, the top of the state of California and and down in San Diego or something at the bottom, um, because there are very real logistical challenges, I think, associated with that. And so we've taken a bit of a clustering approach. But I think also it's through community empowerment. And, you know, by that, I mean, we really bring local residents and stakeholders to the table in each of the communities where we operate. We've created community advisory boards in each of those communities. And those folks really serve as a critical sort of feedback loop and accountability loop for us in our operations. And I think, you know, obviously I can, I'm going to say control very loosely, right? Air quotes control (laughs) um, my team and, and our focus and our output. But I think 
I can't be everywhere all at once, try as I might and try as we might. And so having these stakeholders, oftentimes folks who, by the way, were not enthused in any way about cannabis coming to their community originally, giving them a seat at the table and a voice and a direct line to me and to really all of our team members on how are we doing in your community? How is this going? I think that's been really critical to our ability to scale because, you know, anyone who tells you that that they're operating perfectly, right, that everything's going well, I would say run because they are lying. And so having that ability to sort of catch things in real time and be responsive in real time has been key. I'm curious what the communities, you know, what, what the kind of issues are, what their concerns are. Like when you go into a community and work with them on, you know, the licensing process, what is it that comes up? I mean, how, what issues are coming up and then how do you address them? Yeah, I think it's in some ways they're the same issues we we've all heard and have a lot of roots in reefer madness. And, you know, and then every community also has some that are pretty unique. You know, the youth access and, and public safety has always been a driver of those conversations. And in a number of communities, I think we've been able to, I wouldn't say mitigate that, but be as responsive as one can be to generalized anxiety um, with bringing youth advocates to the table. So, you know, on our community advisory boards and informing our community give back programs around youth drug education and prevention. I think in some communities, you know, because California has this merit-based licensing process in most of the municipalities that have opted, sort of opted into cannabis retail, we're also starting to see the rise of a new level of anxiety, which I'm finding, I'm really learning this in real time as we have community conversations, and I'm finding it fascinating, which is there's really a cohort of a couple dozen companies in California that have really laser focused in on much like like us on winning these licenses through merit-based pursuits rather than spending God knows what in acquiring them. So there's this new community concern because as part of that process, right, a, a local government starts an RFP, initiates an RFP request for proposals process. And all of us operators, we flood in with loads of promises and, you know, a couple low level checks so that we can put those logos in our applications. And so there's this new rise of community concern that I think is really interesting that's that's demanding more accountability and really asking to see a track record. And so I think that's exciting in, in some ways, you know, as it coalesces with broader conversations on our industry about accountability. But what I what enthuses me about seeing the conversation shift is I think some of the work that operators, existing operators in communities are doing is starting to calm some of the decades long concerns and the decades long reefer madness. And and again, we're starting to see some of the insecurities shift a bit, which to me shows that normalization and, and destigmatization is starting to work. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really exciting because I think it's what we're all doing this for. Dustin, let me ask you, I want to talk a little bit about the whole kind of on-site consumption events. You know, this is a whole kind of new area for cannabis that is you know, just starting to kind of take place. I know a couple of municipalities, cities that have started to authorize some of this stuff. Obviously, the whole COVID thing kind of was throwing a bit of a monkey wrench at it, but it seems like a, a pretty significant trend or, or future for cannabis. How have you been kind of looking at this, approaching it? How does it play into your strategy? How does it play into really how you see the cannabis market unfolding here? Yeah, we see this as as a high growth market within 
cannabis broadly. And it's something that I've been passionate about since the drafting of Proposition 64, where we were the first state to implement the ability for licensed on-site consumption at live events. And um, since that time, you know, I've worked with the majority of the municipalities in California today that allow for live on-site events and um, help pass those ordinances and have executed events in them. Prior to Embark Events, I did this as a consultant for arguably one of the world's most renowned annual cannabis competitions. So helping them go from you know an unlicensed event into the regulated market was a really um, a proud moment. And through that experience, realized that for us, situating ourselves at the intersection of entertainment and cannabis would be beneficial for a whole host of reasons. You know, as Lauren outlined, something that's very important to us is destigmatizing cannabis and creating some normalcy. And what we're seeing because of the very restrictive advertising requirements in cannabis, that there's very few ways to, you know, get the word out. And, you know, it's hard sometimes for consumers to have their first experience in a dispensary or with a delivery service coming to their home. But we know that cannabis at events has been something that's existed, you know, since events have existed. So, you know, what we're trying to do is create normalcy at those events. So folks who may not have any history or experience with cannabis, that can be their first time. And, you know, really specializing in responsible consumption. So thinking about the way that, you know, what types of products we even allow at these live events. But, you know, for us, this is going to be a huge growth initiative for us. 2022, given Omicron, you know, et cetera, this is a relationship building year. We have some very exciting partnerships that we'll be releasing this year as it relates to some of our, you know, promoter and, and venue partners. But we see a huge um opportunity here. And it really just is an extension of of our stores. I mean, this is retail, you know, live events where we see ourselves in the coming years is becoming the aramark of cannabis, that we will be a concessionaire that you will find at most venues. You know, I don't think that necessarily smokable cannabis is going to be the future at live events, but certainly the beverage and edibles category. You know, my hope is that whether it be five years or 10 years that, you know, you'll go to any live event, uh, sporting event, et cetera, and you'll have the opportunity to to purchase a light beer or or a light cannabis beverage, and um, we will get there, and and we will um, you know hopefully be the champions that'll be bringing that to you uh, at least in California. Yeah, yeah, Lauren, I'm curious uh, as as you're kind of looking at the future of the cannabis market and you know all the kind of policy changes that are potentially out there, and and I know the timelines keep changing, but you know whether it's federal legalization, um, you safe banking act. Uh, interstate commerce, like what are the things that you are really kind of keeping an eye on and you've been, you know, kind of working through, you know, in terms of strategy and about how you respond to as a business, as a brand, as an operations, what's on your radar here? I think the most important, well, and that's even that's a loaded word. I'm very excited to see banking reform sort of taking my Embark hat off because we're fortunate to have banking relationships that provide us, I think, more flexibility and public safety in our operations. But for the industry as a whole, banking is so critical and access to sort of traditional debt and capital is is so vital. And as an industry, we talk about equity. And I think that conversation has become so loaded and, and so challenging. And I think at the end of the day, banking is going to be one of the single greatest impacts for small businesses, legacy businesses, social equity businesses. Providing that access to capital is the vital first step. And what else, uh, I mean, as you're kind of thinking strategy, I mean, you mentioned that you're opening or your plan is to open 
additional locations. How are you mapping that out? Like, what are the milestones? What are the the things that kind of need to happen, you know, from a market point of view or from a business point of view to justify or trigger that expansion? That's a great question. And, you know, Dustin, I may tap you in on on some of that. But I think for us, it's, you know, as it relates to California, we're heads down, continuing to do the work with policymakers at the local level with communities to help continue to get these communities moving forward. As as Dustin mentioned, the majority of Californians voted to legalize cannabis in their communities at the state level. And it's time to bring it to them. Mm-hmm. At the state level, we just saw the governor's budget announced, and that proposal includes a very significant allocation for a grant program in California that I think is intended to be used as a carrot for these local jurisdictions that are, are seeing the benefits of cannabis being realized by neighboring jurisdictions, but oh, for a variety of reasons are very slow to start in initiating that process themselves. And you know, the single greatest challenge well, I guess setting aside the the cultivation issue we're facing today, uh, one of the single greatest challenges, uh, depending on the day and who you ask, is that there is not enough access to retail in California. Um, we need that shelf space. We need that for our cultivators and, and brands and for Californians. And so I think at the state level, I'm I'm excited to see what this grant program can do in terms of being that carrot. You know, I think we're starting to see operators developing strategies at the hyperlocal levels that they're using as a stick for some of these jurisdictions as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But in terms of that informing embark strategy, again, I go back to focus. You know, today we just need to stay focused on on the charge ahead. I think to Dustin's point, we see events and being the concession there as a huge opportunity to expand what is really just retailing. We're just retailing cannabis, right? We're recognizing the places where cannabis exists, <laughs> where it exists today, right? And finding the ways to facilitate bringing it there. Yeah. So I'll have uh, Dustin close this out here. If if people want to find out more about the two of you, about Embark, what's the best way to get that information? So from a consumer perspective, goembark.com. So G-O-E-M-B-A-R-C.com is our website. As individuals, we're on LinkedIn, and I think that's um, you know another area to, to connect. We find that uh, we're in this moment where I think we could kind of characterize it as uh, cooperation, uh, where it's you know uh, an element of competition, but a lot of cooperation. And going back to my point earlier about cannabis being a community before it was ever an industry, we feel fortunate that that is still at the essence of of where California cannabis is today. So we really look forward to connecting with, you know, other business leaders in the space and collaborating on ideas because I think it it requires a collective voice to move this industry forward. Yeah. I'll make sure that all the links and information is in the show notes here. Lauren and Dustin, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Take care. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.